0: I was partaking with the kids a couple of weeks ago uh, from testimony from those working with them. It was pretty wild. I don't know if it was the full moon or what, but I was kind of feeling that in mor- the morning myself. It's like just a little scatterbrained, a little crazy, so me and the kids had a lot in common uh, like we normally do. In that uh, vein, I am going to go back in and lightly just navigate across what we talked about uh, two weeks ago. Which is in the realm of our church, in the realm of the things that we have coming next to us, the state of the church, but I changed it to the state of the church. So here's the arc of this morning's sermon. I'm gonna finish the warnings from Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then we're gonna walk in. And the last warning is that you and I are supposed to live in shrewdness and love, shrewdness and kindness, wisdom and love, as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. And so in light of so much of social media traffic this week, what I think people are dealing with, I'm going to deliver to you, uh, hopefully to be helpful if you're dealing with it too. it has been a lot of talk about revival. There's been a lot of talk in the last couple weeks about Christian music stuff, about uh, uh, celebrity pastors, and like all these failings, these things going on, and it's just it's just time for you and I to grab something in the culture and just deal with it a little bit. That being said, I think it works perfectly with two weeks ago and this week, what I want to achieve with you as far as our church goes and what we're trying to do. So I will try to get my mind together, my heart together to deliver to you what God has been showing me. Where have we been? I told you this a couple weeks ago. We've seen a lot of really godly things taking place in our church. We've got things with foster care going on now. You know, a couple weeks ago we had uh, just this, this outpouring of Uh, want to help want to be a part of with new families signing up to take the classes Uh, we've got new families that are accepting children like homes that have been opened back up listen this is this is the heart of God this is a mission field that's being brought into our home much like the Belarusian ministry that we get to hopefully do uh, this year again so when you hear these requests um, of things that we need of help that we need of money that we need understand this ministry brings people to you so does foster care so does adoptive care We're bringing them into our home, and it's going to match totally with Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. We talk about how God says we need to prepare our hearts for the days to come. So these ministries that people are buying into that they're dipping their toe in and then they're taking the classes and then they're opening their homes or other people here that are praying for these moments that want to be helpful, that want to watch the kids and love on the kids and want to do these things, you and I need to understand that is the heart of God. It is a very godly and good thing. And because of that, not everybody will be thrilled. There's been an increase in giving around here. There's been an increase in attendance. If you flip open your bulletin today, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about decreasing the budget because giving was down. Somebody said start passing the plate around and you all just showed up. So if you flip your bulletin open, even today, the day, you're going to see that almost the monthly bills have been taken care of in two Sundays. Because there's been an increase in giving. That is a wonderful sign of spiritual fruit. Not everybody is excited about it. The enemy doesn't like when you and I start to take and do godly things. When we, tar- when we start to take godly steps, even just exploring godly steps, he doesn't like that. He wants to stop you and I from thinking about godly things, right? What does uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 say? The devil, your adversary, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, that passage is uh, a warning, But I need you to understand something. It's a very limited warning. He's not seeking and devouring. What is he doing? Seeking someone to devour. He doesn't have free reign. He doesn't get to touch you. Right? The Lord is holding that stuff back. You are under the protective care of the God of the universe. You are a child, a son, or a daughter of God. And because of that, there are limitations to what the enemy can do, just like the book of Job and even now. You and I could not stand against the things that he has for us. He is the most powerful, created being in the universe, and yet he is on a leash. And so you and I need to be reminded of that. We need to understand, but he is not happy anytime you make a godly decision. It can be the temptation of just getting busy, just watching that show just disconnecting, just cooling off, just not showing up, just not being a part of, just not praying, just not reading your Bible. The temptations could be as simple as that, that create a snowball later that caused tremendous damage. But if it's just as small as that, you and I need to understand he is at work. He is at work. His weapons of choice are frustration, bitterness, lies, miscommunications, accusations, rebellion, whispers, and the sowing of discord. His allies, unfortunately, first off, is my own heart. You and I struggle right now as we are living and breathing with that old self that was there prior to salvation. He is also a defeated foe, but he is still there. She is still there. They have not been crucified yet and hung there and and done away with. You and I are still struggling with that old self, and that one wants to be appeased. It wants to be worshipped. It wants easy... It does not want the things of God. His allies also are goats that come into your life and mine or wolves that we have to be paying attention to. Those that are not only uh, just uh, neutral in things of the gospel, but those are aggressively against it. We need to be paying attention. Who has our ear? Who has our heart? Not just those that are close enough to you, but every time you and I turn on that tube, flip open that phone, who has our heart? Who has our attention? Because everybody is competing for those things. So where have we been? We are seeing God do some amazing things. The prayer life around here is ever increasing, partly because it has to. We have families here that are in situations they would never choose to be in. God of the universe has mandated it, has made it happen, and he has done that so they know him better. And by extension, you and I know him better prayer life around here is getting deeper. The expectations are growing. The needs are ever increasing, and because of that, the enemy hates it too. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Not preaching, not singing, not wonderful this, not BBS, not this, not that, not great coffee, not great fellowship. A house of prayer. And the more you and I pray and the more we go to it first instead of last, the deeper our church will become and the more enemies we will gather and the more power we will have. And the Lord is doing all that even right now. So a couple weeks ago, the goal was just to tell you and I to be watchful. Be paying attention. And this is where things got all frazzled. So here we go again. Are you ready? Numbers 13 says this, what's going on? The spies are sent into the promised land. They come back and give a bad report. Because of that, every person that is of adult fighting age will now forfeit walking into the promised land of God. God says, because you were worried and you brought up your children as an excuse to excuse your lack of faith, I will save them, protect them, and keep them, and I will march them into the promised land. But you, each one of you, will die. None of you will see the promised land. 40 years of grieving. 40 years of loss. And I wanted to run the numbers, but I didn't. One time I I did, and I want to say the number was like 70 people a day would have died in the wilderness. Like 70 people a day just for the time period left. All because Twelve people went in, ten people come out and said, Man, the fruit is great, the land is awesome, but the people are like giants. Not paying attention to the fact that the Lord had just marched them through the Red Sea. That the Lord had just smacked every Egyptian god right in the mouth and brought them out of Egypt. But now when they walk into the land, they look around and say, Man, these people are like giants and we were like grasshoppers. Remember the story that we read it? They had to carry the grapes with two people. The the land was amazing. And yet they come back. Ten give a bad report. Two give a good report. The two that gave good report, what happens later on in the book? They walk into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. The ten that give an evil report, they are cursed. Family is broken because of a faith failure. And then because they were believed, because everybody jumped on board with what they had to say, because of that, everybody else had to suffer their loss. That's Numbers 13. What God has promised is so good, but there's challenges to come. You and I need to be careful when you're looking at the challenges set before us. If God has called you and I to do something, if He has called us as individuals or as a church to partake in a ministry, to take on a mission, to dive into this world, when you and I look at it, it's going to look hard, sometimes even impossible. But the call is there. When you and I look backward, we see God has provided. He has done what He said He would do, and we step forward in faith. And you just got to take one step at a time. The next one, and the next one, and the next one. A lack of faith about tomorrow will corrupt today and it will mess up yesterday's vision. That's the passage. When you're reading in Numbers 14, they, the, the nation starts to give their account of what has gone on in their life. And instead of being removed from Egypt as slaves, crying out to God there for help, and God answering, and then God doing the plagues, and Egypt being crushed, and Israel being saved, and instead of going across the Red Sea and seeing it open by a miracle, what they see now is totally different. In Egypt, the food was plentiful. Like, wait a second, (laughs) why are we in the desert right now going through this? Why do we look at this land that we don't think we can take? What are we doing? Why don't we just stay there like everything? When you and I do not have faith, when our faith is diminished, it skews everything. Backward in your past, right now in your present, and it will mess with your future. And it's a faith failure that draws that, that, that brings that out. My faith is weak. My faith is lacking. The things I see are telling me I cannot do it. I shouldn't do it. If I go that way, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to lack something good. God has lied. Every faith failure lands right there. God is lying. He's not going to be true to his word. That's the struggle you and I will have every day. What happens after that? Well, They are moving through the wilderness. We go back to Exodus because this was the start of their problems. This is why the punishment for seeing the promised land was so big for so many people. Why? Because it wasn't the first time God had provided for them. That God had promised them something huge and fulfilled it. This was not the first time. This was about the tenth. What happens in Exodus chapters 15 and 17? They don't have water, they don't have food, and they don't have water again. And guess what God does? Provides, provides, provides. The well that is poisoned, Moses throws a stick in, it becomes good water. When you read the passage next, they go to 12 springs. They go from that moment of Marah, the bitter well, the bitter water. They walk right into an oasis of 12 springs of God's blessing. But God says, I'll take care of you when it's bitter. I'll take care of you when it's scarce. And I'll walk you right into a land of plenty. After that, what happens? They cry because there's no food. And what does God do? Supplies manna from heaven. If you think later on in the book, what happens is they get tired of the manna. You remember? Like they wake up every morning. There's the food. They pick it up, gather it, walk it back. They eat it. On on, on Friday, they would wake up. They would gather for two days. God would provide double. They take it in. They eat it for two days. And they did that, but it wasn't supposed to be for 40 years. It was supposed to be until they made it to the promised land and took over the promised land. See, their faith was supposed to walk them from God's provision into God's land. If you're reading in Deuteronomy, if you're listening to that book like I am right now, you get to the point where God shuts off the manna. Why? Because they've walked into the promised land. Now the land is going to supply you what I promised So Exodus 15, 16, 17, you see God provide. They cried, they grumbled against Moses, they crumbled against the Lord, and the Lord deals graciously with them. His grace is poured out on them. Why? Because this is new. It is early. Chapter 17 is one of the most fascinating chapters in all of Scripture in Exodus. Why? Because God tells Moses, take the staff that you used to part the sea, and I want you to strike the rock, and water is going to come out. But in that passage, God says, I will be standing in front of the rock. In essence, Moses, strike me for their sin. Who does that sound like? I told you a couple weeks ago, the idea that God has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament because we see a better picture of him in Jesus is foolish and silly. God is just as grace-filled, just as gracious in the Old Testament. They have sinned against him Even immediately in the passage, it's like, we don't have water. We need water. We need water. This stinks. You're horrible. Let's go back to Egypt. Here's water. Here's 12 springs. Here's the food you need. And then we're right back to, we need water. We're going to die. This is horrible. Moses, you're an idiot. Right? What would you bring us out here to die for? And Moses is right back into that, and God says, listen, there should be punishment. I'm going to take it. That's a powerful idea. powerful idea. God says, I'll stand before the rock. You strike the rock and water will come. The Lord deals graciously with our needs and he deals even more graciously with our grumbles. You see, you and I are required to deal with the information we have at the time. Even in uh, Sunday school this morning, we're talking about the idea of the illumination of what the Holy Spirit tells you and I to deal with. The illumination of the sin in our life or the things in our life that dishonor God. To grieve him if you woke up tomorrow morning and the Lord showed you everything we would just die but just kill us to understand how much in our life dishonors him and breaks his heart and doesn't look like Jesus the things that we think the things that we say and God help us the moments that we have missed the things that we the, the moments we have should have said something but didn't how many of those could you fill up like man I should have I should have said something. I should have done something. The illumination of the Holy Spirit. In the moments you and I are interacting with him, he tells us what we need. He gives us what we need. He calls us to repentance. And so God deals graciously with them because he has shown them this much, and now he is holding them accountable for this much. And he shows them a little more, and now he holds them accountable to that. We need to thank God he deals with us like that. He is so merciful And he was so merciful to the nation of Israel. And you and I read these stories and we think, man, what is wrong with them? How come they can't get it right? Listen, this could be my autobiography and yours. How many times, how many times has God provided and you and I in the next week, the next month, the next year, pretended like he wasn't going to do it again? That's the nation of Israel. Be watchful when asked to wait. You and I need to be careful when the call is patience, when the call is waiting. What story is that? That's the story for 40 days as Moses goes up on the mountain and meets with God. What happens by the time the 40 days is up? They've already created a golden calf. They're already worshiping the golden calves. Now this fascinates me. Where did the gold come from to make it? This fascinates me. Where did a nation of slaves get the gold to make the calves? It was the plunder from the nation of Egypt. As they were leaving, God showed even more favor and the Egyptians gave them what? Jewels, stones, gold. And yet in a moment when their faith was lacking, they traded in. They took this gold off. They were just slaves months before. And they took it off and handed it to Aaron and said, make us a God to worship. They gave the resource that he had provided over to worship it. Exodus 19 to 32, when God tells us to wait, when he tells us to be patient, be patient. Don't turn and run somewhere else. Do not expect something else to provide for you what God has promised. Just wait. Israel gets impatient, they rebel, and they make a destructive mess. How about Numbers chapter 11 and 12? Be careful with the company that you keep. Be careful with the company that is close to you. Here's a danger of bad company. A danger of bad company may be their desire to show God's blessings as a curse or even worse, insufficient. You say, who deals with this all the time? I had this conversation on Friday night uh, with a lady and her husband that, are, that have, are pregnant. And guess what happened when she started telling people they were pregnant? All the negativity brought in to their life. Well, wait till they're up all night. We'll wait till they're puking. Wait till you got to clean that diaper up. Wait till how expensive they are. It's like, wait a second. Is this a blessing or is it a curse? You need to be careful with the company you keep. You know who else deals with this? The moment you get engaged. The very moment you get engaged, the Lord will send people into your life to destroy the idea of marriage. It's, it's just on repeat. You talk to a 20-something. They get engaged. Say, hey, man, how's it going? What happened after that? Did this happen? Oh, yeah. That was kind of weird. Yeah. How the people at work responding to your engagement? Oh, they don't like it. (laughs) They told me to run. Is it a blessing or is it a curse? Some of the most dangerous things that people, the company we have, create is the idea that God's blessings are insufficient. They're not going to make you happy. It's not really what you want. Sounds like the enemy. Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember that one? Numbers 11 and 12, we see two stories of what happened. There are rebels that rebel, and then actually even uh, Moses' own sister and brother rise up against him. They're a little upset that they're not getting the glory that they need. Remember that story? They speak out against Moses, and so God gives her leprosy. You're going to need to pray for him, Moses. Yes, Lord. Our warning, your company and your leadership matter. Pick wisely. Love tenaciously the people you are close to and excel in your community. That is the best possible way to protect yourself from this influence. Be close with people that love the Lord and love you. Now turn to me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6 is the biggest warning. This is the biggest warning God gives the nation. And it's not walking into the land in the battle that's going to take place it's not worrying about where their food is going to come from or where their water is going to come from the lord has already given them all these blessings deuteronomy 6 basically says this be careful when you get self-sufficient be careful when the fridge is full and the good water is flowing And man, you know what? It's not even like that when the honey is flowing, when the sweetness is there, when the land is good, when there's times of peace, when there's times to sit back, when there's times to relax. Look at Deuteronomy 6 and read it with me. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you and that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Now, how far down is he taking this, these requirements and these commands? It's going to be your children and your grandchildren. You say, why is that important? Keep reading. By keeping all his statutes and his commands, which I've commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's called the Shema. If you ever hear that word, that's what they're talking about. This is what Jews recite every day, multiple times a day. Hear, O Israel, The Lord, our God, the Lord is one, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be a uh, frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your your house and on your gates. What is he saying? Everywhere you turn, you will see the promises and the commands of God. Why is that, friends? Why is that warning there? Because how do you make disciples? What is the repetition that it takes to create someone of a faith that is sturdy and ready to deal with what the world is going to throw at them? It doesn't take an hour with Justin a week. Called you out. You could give them to Justin for four hours. You could give them to the Aubers for ten hours a week, and it would not matter. It takes a consistent, constant witness to the things God has done. You see, Deuteronomy six is setting up the nation not for this generation that has seen it all happen, but for the next generation that is yet to live it. Why? Are the areas that we spend our time so important? Because they create in us who we're going to be. Why is it so important to monitor not only what we watch, but how much we watch? Why is it important to monitor how much time we spend on our phone? And what we're looking at while we're there? Your children monitoring what they're looking at. Why is it? Because that's the way you create disciples. Disciples for hell, disciples for the world, or disciples for Christ. This is the way you do it. You put the things of God constantly in front of them. Why? Because we have short memories and we are thick-headed. We need the reminder. Your children need, you see, they've not lived their story yet. That's why you have to tell them yours. What has God done? Well, for them, it's been nothing yet. Why? Because they're stealing out of your fridge. Right? They're adding their stuff to your list. They've not lived that story yet, so what are you and I doing? Making sure they don't think all of this has happened because of me. That's what we're trying to stop. The Lord has done this. The Lord is doing this, and He has promised this. And until they're living their own, you and I are constantly pointing to them what He's done for us, what He's done for our church. When I get to look at my children and say, do you know the prayer request that so-and-so had? And God is providing for them. It is the same thing. But it has to be right here, and it has to be constant. It's why the struggle for entertainment is so real. It's why the struggle for where we spend our time is so real. Listen, friends, we give our kids to a school system how many hours a week? Somebody say a lot. We need to be engaging with what's going on there. We give our kids to coaches how often a week we need to be engaging with what's going on there what's being taught what is being discipled to them they turn on the TV and we give them to disney netflix prime all of that stuff is discipleship you say well you're silly that no that's not me talking that's god talking God wants you and I to understand what it takes to create disciples. So he's looking at the nation of Israel and saying, you're going to have to tell them, and I'm going to bless you, your children, and your grandchildren. They didn't live. They didn't see the Red Sea Cross. So what do you got to do? You got to tell them. Keep reading with me. Verse 10. when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build... And houses full of all good things that you did not fill. And cisterns that you did not dig. And vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. By his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Verse 16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and statutes uh, which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of your Lord that it may go well with you and you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son when we were pharaoh's slaves in egypt the lord brought us out of egypt with a mighty hand and the lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against egypt and against pharaoh and all his household before our eyes and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers And the Lord commanded us to do all these things. Statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Why are you and I to fear God? For our what? It's lost. Our culture has lost that idea. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. You and I are not pounding the pavement with things that we think are right and things that we don't like. So we're pushing against that. We're not doing that. The commands of of God are for our good. The four are good. The way God says to treat pride and money and sex and relationships. The way God says to bind to other people and how deeply we bind to them is all about our good. Not punishing those that disagree with us. You see the Lord has made promises that are blessings. Like putting water in your gas tank, is it going to work? The answer is no, just so nobody tries that later. It don't work, right? Seven cents a gallon from American water and 319 at the pump might be, right? Might be tempting. Don't do it. It's not going to work. The world wants you and I to live a certain way. It wants, us to, it wants to put water in our gas tank. It wants us to ruin the life that God has given us, the time that God has given us. It wants us to be a mess. It wants us to be nasty and grievous and horrible to those around us. It wants us to be unfulfilled and dispassionate. And it will be righteousness for us. Verse 25. If we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, turn over to chapter 8 with me and he goes through it one more time. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers and you shall remember the whole way that the lord your god has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commands or not listen friends very careful uh, here this sounds like there's a contradiction here why did god leave them in the wilderness for 40 years as what you have to make this distinction at the start of this journey it is punishment God is still going to provide their needs. He is still going to woo them in. But there's going to be a time, there's going to be a time of judgment, a time of death in the wilderness, not in the promised land. But that is the first generation. Who is he talking to now? You see, what can be a wasteland for one person can be a time of sweet fellowship with the God of the universe for the other. Because God's looking at him now and saying, man, remember those 40 years I pulled you through that wilderness. I kept you close, I provided your needs, I loved on you, I took care of you, now I'm going to take you into the promised land. But you need to realize this last 40 years was not a waste. For some it was punishment, and for others it was relationship. For some, the Lord was proving a point, and it was the same for the others. One is correction, and one is sweet relationship. God says, remember this last year, you would go out and your food would be there and I would take care of you and I would love on you and you would look and you would see the cloud by day and the fire by night and whenever I would leave, you would follow and this was a sweet time together, almost like a honeymoon. Now I'm going to take you into the promised land. To me, that, that this fascinates me. This same 40-year time period for one group is correction and punishment and for another is a sweet time and a honeymoon together. The Lord works in our circumstances. And yours and someone else's may be exactly the same. And one is a sweet time of fellowship, love, care, and connection. And the other is a time of correction and abrasiveness and anger and frustration. And yet two people can be living through the exact same thing. The stories get real drastic, but it can be two people in the same hospital room. It can be two people at hospice. It can be two people in a prison. It can be two people in a war prison. The Lord is at work. And he's looking at this crowd and he's saying, just remember, right? The whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. Where does, that, uh, where does that verse come back up later? A couple thousand years later, Jesus would say what to the devil? Man doesn't live by bread alone, right? But by every word that comes from God. Mouth of our Lord. Verse 4 Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Verse 7 For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water and fountains and springs. Flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Verse 10, and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, verse 11, lest you forget the Lord your God. And how do you and I forget him? By not keeping his commands and his rules and his statues, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water? Who brought you out of the water, uh, who brought you out water out of flinty rock? Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that you might be humble and test you to do good in the end? Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Verse 19, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord God makes to perish before you. You will perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. See, the greatest danger in any life, the greatest danger in your Christian life and in mine is to be self-sufficient. There is nowhere in the world you and I can be more carnal. And that is scary because it feels so good. In a nation of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and take care of your own business, it feels real good to be self-sufficient. And yet when you and I have that take over our heart, there is nothing more carnal we can be or do. Because we have basically made ourselves who? There is not a more satanic sin than this one. It is pride rewrapped. And for the nation of Israel, this will be their danger. As they walk into the land, as they have not had to deal with the things their fathers and their grandfathers dealt with, as they walk into a new one, God says there's another temptation. When everything is flowing and moving good, you need to be careful. You need to be watchful. To rob God of His glory is to set your children up for failure Friends, how about that one? To rob God the glory of His provision and His taking care of you is to set your children up for failure. Why? Because ultimately they think if you achieved it, they can achieve it. Or if you achieve something that they didn't like, they're going to supersede it. We need to be humble, we need to be thankful, and we need to tell the story. And we need to do it as much as they hear any other story. And this is my sin as much as it is so many of you all that we have dropped the ball on this. When's the last time you told your children and your grandchildren how God has blessed you in a very specific way? The point of the passage was as they walked by, when they walked through the Jordan River, what did they pick up? Each tribe picked up one what? Stone. What did they do with those stones? Here I raise my Ebenezer. That's what that song means. So when they would walk by that Ebenezer, that stone, that pile of stones there, and the kids would say, what's that for? It's kind of weird. We put that there. You know, when your ancestors walked through the Jordan River to take over the promised land, God said, grab a stone, make an altar, and they did. And so when they walk by, they tell their children, they tell their grandchildren, they wrote it on the doorpost of their home. What does this mean? This is the law of God. If we keep it, he's going to bless us and take care of us. This will be our land forever. But if we run after other gods, if we lack faith in him, we're going to share their curses. You see, to rob God of his glory in your life is to set your children and your grandchildren up for failure. There must be a past, present, and a future approach to home discipleship. When you and I are loving and and discipling our children at home and at church, there needs to be a past, what God has done. There needs to be a present, what he is doing right now. And there needs to be a future, what he has promised for you and I in that discipleship. We have to be paying attention, telling the story, living the story, and looking forward to the rest of it. You and I are going to live different, so we die different. Blessings follow God's word. Remember when Pastor Don you said say it all the time, God doesn't bless people, he blesses his what? Blesses his word. When you and I live by the word, he pours it out. So how are you and I going to go forward? How are we going to move forward in our faith? We're going to move forward in faith that God has moved, loved, and provided, and he's going to do it again. We're going to move forward in community, knowing that this same God moves in gathering his people, in the resources that come, and in the goodness of his people. You and I are gathered together. This is a blessing of God. This is heaven come to earth. We're going to move in boldness, knowing that our mission is right. Your morals are a blessing, and our touch is needed, and our victory is secure. It is finished applies today. So where you and I set our feet, the mission and the victory is already there. God has already set it up. And finally, we're going to move in love and wisdom. Knowing that these two are eternally bound. They cannot be separated. You cannot get into love where it becomes permission. And you cannot get into shrewdness where it is, is, is cursed or wisdom where it is cursed to look like the world. Manipulation, lying and nastiness. Deception. These two things are bound together. Jesus said be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. We are to be loving and kind and we are to be shrewd and wise. And that's where it brings me to today as I get ready to finish up today. There's a couple things going on right now in our culture that you and I need to understand. And this steps right into it. Why? Because our church is living in 2023. And our church is living in the age of social media, TV, and all this other stuff. Access to knowledge has created an all-consuming monster of what? Of maybe that's godly, of fake godly, forged godly. It looks like it, but it's not. Planted, set in places specific, or or set in places that are strategic to be a, a, a hindrance. Things that are too early. All this information is kingdom related. Every celebrity that comes out and somehow is a Christian now, what do you and I do just immediately? Mm, yeah. Lord got another one, right? Kanye West is a Christian singing about Jesus. Woo! Right. We just won that war. Holy cow, what happened? Kanye did what? He said, what? Ouch. My favorite sports star just thank Jesus. Oh, that is so cool. That's so awesome. Man, you got another one, Lord. He said, what about that? She said, what about that? Oh, that pastor of that megachurch, boy, they're awesome. What happened? What was going on? Like, this information, you and I are, are biting it on. And this week, was, this week was the pendulum swing. For years it's been, man, that's awesome, that's got to be real, the Lord is at work. And then there's a revival going on at a college. Anybody seen that? Like, ten days into this thing that's really cool, right? Whatever's going on there, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then this week was the pendulum swing back. Like, hey, wait a second, maybe we got to slow up just for a minute. Like, is this real? Like, I know it's a Christian college, but I've been to Christian college, and guess what? Everything there ain't Christian right? Everyone there ain't Christian either. That includes the faculty and the staff, and right? So it's like the pendulum swung. Kanye's a Christian, and everybody's just hooting and hollering like the Lord just won him a soldier, buddy. It's on like Donkey Kong, and then all of a sudden, he's on stage with Joel Osteen talking about the prosperity gospel, and you're like, oh, that hurt. I really like that one song he did, and then this one was a swing back like, oh, that can't be real everybody questioning it. So you got all these people in church, all these church people fighting around. Listen, you, don't, you and I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. We need to be discerning in what God is, is doing. We need to be careful in what we call godly and what we don't. So these celebrity movements, these conversions, these, this, the broad, listen, the Christian music industry right now, listen, friends, you better put some discerning ears on when you listen to this stuff, because some of these people are doing and saying very vicious, vile, nasty, worldly things. You take a Christian artist and you put them at the Grammys, guess what? They applaud everything that all of the secular people applaud. When a guy comes up on stage dressed like Satan, I didn't see a mass exodus of people that claim to be Christian. Do with it what you want. Do with it what you want. People that write the music that we sing now. All truth is God's truth, and some wicked, nasty people can do some really godly things. That's why we have to discern what we're singing and what we're doing as we do it. Okay, Ungodly people can preach godly sermons, and they can go in the Word, and they can read it, and they can be faithful, and you can apply it, and you can be blessed. That's not what I'm saying here. But man, we're giving them our money. We're giving them our children. And some of them are just, they're writing Christian music, and then they're applauding the most demonic of activity you can applaud. Now, some of you this may be news to because you're not deep diving through YouTube and pulling up all these quotes and stuff. But listen, there are some Christian people that have broke my heart. Let me ask you something. Why would a Christian artist that claims to write Christian music collaborate with someone that pushes against every biblical doctrine known? Toby Mack, one of my favorites. Promised Land. What's that song about? Heaven? God? He collaborates with Sheryl Crow. So she can sing that song. Wonderful singer. Does she repent of anything she's said or done in the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years? Like this is weirdness. We need to be discerning. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. The weirdness, the the the, the, the manipulation of the church, the manipulation of church people, it's going to get worse. And you and I are going to be standing there thinking, is that biblical or not? And the more we sit and wait, the more people are going to call us biggest and hate us and all this other stuff. It's going to happen. But you and I have to be discerning. We have to be discerning. The mega churches and things they teach, even biblical teaching, what's going on right now, the people that can claim to do that. And then we get to this revival. All these things have been brought under scrutiny this year for good reason, because we're seeing them all play out. And some are good, and some are fake, and some are wrong. And when you and I start to dive through that, it gets real messy. But you need to understand it is a requirement. Wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And this is not a new problem. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. John chapter 7 would say, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And Jesus was so judgy, right? Kind of a bigot. He didn't really mean the things that he said. Jesus said you and I are to judge with right judgment. Not the way the world judges things, but you and I are to see through that with spiritual eyes and see what is going on so that we can either lean in or withdraw. What else? First Corinthians 2.14 The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolish to him and he is not able to understand them. First Corinthians 2.14 Whenever you and I see the world or places that are very worldly running towards something that claims to be Christian you better get your ears perked up a little bit. You better sift through and see what's going on there. Real church services in Sodom and Gomorrah were probably not a thing. And if one showed up and claimed to honor God and to love Him and to worship Him and everybody was buying in, we might want to go, "Mm, let me see. Not to negate it, not to destroy it, but just to be wise. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Having the appearance of godliness. That is the last passage of some of the wicked most wicked human behavior that will come. It says, at the end of the days, people will live like this. They'll be greedy, lover of men, haters of God, uh, disobedient to parents. They'll be unappeasable. Love that word. It's Terrifying to think about. That is the cancel mob. That's social media. You mess up, you're done. Unappeasable. Can't apologize enough. Doesn't matter if it's 30 years ago. And Second Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So what dictates whether or not something is true? These things will always be there if it's godly as they come this morning to sing. My goal for us is to move forward in courage, in boldness, in love, in shrewdness and wisdom, knowing that the days ahead are going to be hard. They're going to be hard, but a work of God looks like this. There is repentance of sin. Repentance of sin. You want to see God work in your life? I want to see him work in mine. Repent of known sin. Reject it, run from it, tell God you're sorry, do it in tears. That's what brings God. Nothing else. doesn't matter how good the person is playing the piano, the guitar, no matter how great their singing is, no matter how great they preach, if there's no repentance, there is no revival. If nobody is sorry for sin, there is no God-honoring revival. That's it. That's the start. It elevates Jesus Christ to his proper place. As revealed in Scripture as Messiah, Lord, and Savior, not your buddy, your Savior, your Lord. The preaching of the Word as the basis of all truth. And the preaching of the Word is the guardrails by which all of our emotional and life, daily living decisions are to be made. True revival looks like that. Who's in charge? God's in charge. And how did He tell me He was in charge? He gave me His Word. It would produce godly lives after the experience is over. When we see this this college shut down and these things come to an end, what is the fruit after? Changed lives or did somebody just break a sweat praying in a service for six hours and then leave exactly the way they came in? That's not revival. It's an experience. And finally, there will be an ever-increasing size of the local church. What would revival leave with it? Christians, where do Christians congregate? Churches. Any ministry, every any, any church, any ministry, any ministry in school, high school, middle school that doesn't point people toward the church of God is very close to crossing a line that cannot be fixed. Christians find churches because they're supposed to. You stand with me this morning. These are the things you and I need to be studying. We need to be understanding. As they sing and they play, if you need something, you come and you pray. You need to repent of something, you come and you pray. You need to ask God for wisdom. Pray. And the Bible says God gives liberally, without issue. He's not going to mock you for being a doofus. He's going to love you and say, as a father, I'm going to give what you need.